Hey everyone, it's Naomi and welcome to the firecracker department. We got snow in Canada. I don't know where you are in the world, but we got snow. I spent a good two hours shoveling snow, something I have not done for five years. I'm telling you, it was fantastic. I mean, follow this up later on in March when I'm shoveling and I might not think it's as fantastic, but it's so beautiful. I mean, Canada, you know how to do seasons. I'll give you that much. Wherever you are in the world, whether you're around snow or sand or sun or whatever it is, I hope you're doing well. I'm thinking about you. I know this isn't an easy time for a lot of people. A lot of um, lockdowns people are facing, so hang in there. Reach out if you need us. Firecracker Department is here for you. And uh, let's pull together. You know, we can get through this. I know we can. So hang in there and, uh, as I said, reach out. You're not alone. My firecracker shout-out today is to one of my favorite people, Amanda Crew. You'll know Amanda Crew from Silicon Valley and from being just an awesome person. She is doing some amazing work with an organization called Project Heal. Project Heal is a nonprofit that helps people get access to eating disorder treatment. And get a load of this. This is how great Amanda Crew is. She's matching donations dollar for dollar up to $5,000 for a total goal of $10,000. Go on over to Instagram, follow Amanda Crew, find out what her story was, find out how to connect with Project Heal, and find out how to support her ventures with this amazing organization. Uh, you could even listen to my amazing conversation with her that I had a while ago on this very podcast to find out everything about Amanda Crew. But the fact that she's supporting Project Heal, I just adore her. And I know we can help her get that goal of 10K. We can do this, right, Firecrackers? All right, let's pull together. Thanks, Amanda Crew, for just being awesome. Now, our guest this week, speaking of awesome, is writer-director Molly McGlynn. Now, Molly has directed a ton of TV, from Speechless to Bless This Mess on ABC to Grownish on Freeform, Working Moms, Bad Blood for Netflix, and if you haven't seen the Emmy-nominated web series How to Buy a Baby, you can watch it all on YouTube right now. She directed all 10 hilarious episodes of the first season. Her first feature, Mary Goes Round, premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in September 2017, and it was nominated and won a bunch of amazing awards. If you haven't seen Mary Goes Round, please go see it. Not only is it a beautiful story, but the acting is superb. I mean, I know Molly a little bit, but you can see her heart in this film. You can see her heart in everything she does. She's just the coolest. You can watch Mary Goes Round on Amazon Prime anytime and stay tuned to our feeds for updates on her second feature film, Bloody Hell, and upcoming television series, Penny Cuts Her Bangs. I mean, the title alone. Don't you want to watch that? I do. This past September, she was named the recipient of TIFF's Mickey Moore Residency, which was established for outstanding female Canadian feature film screenwriters. She went on and took that money that she received and she paid it forward by supporting two other female filmmakers, Congrats to the recipients, Maya and Aisha. We cannot wait to see what you create. Most recently, she was the producing director on season two of Bless This Mess, which unfortunately just got canceled by ABC. So Netflix, Hulu, come on, get on it. The show is so much fun and the storylines were just getting started. So boy, I would like to see more of that. Molly has also worked with the great Deepa Mehta, was selected for the TIFF studio and was listed by Playback Magazine as one of the five to watch. Here we go. Here's my conversation with the coolest person in the world, writer-director Molly McGlynn. I've been a fan of yours before I knew you as a friend and I'll tell you one of the things I love about it from uh, um, even from like your, your films like Mary Goes Round and even what you're doing now is the celebration of flawed women. Which I know this is like old hat to you. I feel like you're like, yeah, that's what I do. That's my jam. Mm -hmm. But it feels like you've embraced an authenticity about women and yourself that not a lot of filmmakers haven't or that we're struggling to do now. Mm -hmm. what, tell me the journey into that, uh, mm -hmm. that point Thank of you view. Thank you for seeing that also because I'm um, starting to send out my next feature for casting and all this. And um, I got some notes back from someone who I respect that were harsh, but a lot of truth in them. And I, you know, similar to you, I'm quite sensitive and I felt a little derailed for a few days. And even like, you know, after this, I'm, I'm talking to uh, my producer about it. And uh, so it's nice to hear a compliment because sometimes I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> who cares? Oh, man. Um, 
Okay. Well, I'm your, I'm your go-to for the compliments because <laughs> I'm such a fan and I really do. Like I, I think, um, I think you're one of the most truthful people I know on and off screen. Hmm. I really do. And I don't think that comes without a, a price or without, a, without exercise. Thank you. I, that means a lot to me because I, um, to get right to it, I had a strange thought maybe last year. I, I don't remember what I was doing, but all of a sudden it's like I had like a log line for my life in which I should abide by. And I was like, in the end, the two things that will be important to me are, did I say what I wanted to say? And did the people who I love know that I love them? And it just became so clear I was like, that's it. And like, that makes I'm... me both goosebumpy and teary a little bit. Aww. Very emotional today. Yeah. Tell, um, me, tell me more. But um, yeah, it, it sort of became a nice touchstone whenever I'm feeling derailed. And it's a good question whenever you're creating anything. Like if you're getting sort of in the weeds, like, am I saying what I want to say? Not what the market says I should be saying or whatever my agent told me. Um, but to that point, I think, you know, uh, authenticity is super important to me and what I'm doing. Um, a lot of it is, uh, you know, I was um, largely raised by um, a single mother after my parents split up. Um, I mean, they had shared custody, but my dad lived uh, further away. And I'm one of four, I'm one of five. I'm the youngest of the first five. And then I have um a half sister as well so like a lot of women and uh I'm just trying to do justice to women and I think it's so funny like we're almost um in sort of we we went through this phase of representation with like women behaving badly and all this stuff and it's part of me is like maybe that's a little too far like it's sort of the Walter White phenomenon of right let's push it in that direction like and now swung I think the other way now yeah now I think we're sort of coming back towards the middle and I'm thinking about like you know um seeing the the lighter sides too like we're all equally good and bad mm -hmm. um it's like the the phrase that was going around of like and I don't give two fucks I mean and yeah, I'm like, like I give so many fucks like too. I care I about all everything the fucks. Yeah. Me too. it's like it's, I don't think cool to be apathetic and give zero fucks. No, but also not to recognize that your actions affect each other. Like I do think there's a level of respect about like how you're living in the world that that phrase doesn't really jive for me, but. Totally. Um, and a lot of it I think is, um, you know, when I write and I make things, I make places that have to do with my own shame and embarrassment about things I've done or felt, not necessarily like factually truthful. But I know but you are putting yourself like, I do feel like whenever we're exposing, right? Whether you're writing something or you're an actor, if somebody goes, wow, she really nailed that character. That's because it's a bit me. Totally. And you have to be vulnerable about that. How, how does that sit with your, with yourself? I mean, not good. I hate being vulnerable. <laughs> I immediately, like when I get hard notes, my, instinct still is to shut down and say well is i swing so hard of this script sucks throw it out don't send it out you shouldn't write you should you know still um, like after all the accolades and all the reinforcement of like you're valued you're you were you're working we want you to be part of the community and still i mean i'm not disagreeing with you yeah so tell me you you got these notes and you said like you you spiraled a bit because the notes were harsh so are you like rip up the script um, my, the difference, be, I'm still the same sort of person, but the difference between me now and me five years ago, me now, or me five years ago would just sort of be derailed by that and believe the self-talk. But now like through enough therapy and work on myself, it's like, there is literally a monster living inside your head. And it's like, name that monster. It's yeah. not the truth. Um, and further to that, um, when I calm down, I can revisit something and pick out, you know, what is truthful in here. And, you know, likely we react to things we don't, that don't fit our narrative of what we want something to be. Yeah. Yeah. You said, so, cause I do the th same thing where if I can take a break from being um, shaky and sweaty from the, <laughs> from the, my instincts, like as soon as, cause I get so wound up, if I can just take a break and go, okay, like breathe through. And then as you said, 
is it naming it for you that sort of helps you detach from the emotional part of it? Yeah, I sort of just, I mean, it's not like her name is Susan or something, but. Um, it could be fucking Susan, right? That bitch. Oh, love, yeah, we that, love Susan. That bitch has been living rent free for a very long time. Right? But, uh, I do have friends I, that have like the, um, they name their, their gremlin inside them and it helps them detach. I mean, yeah. God, whatever works. Yeah, she do, she doesn't have a name, but it's an awareness that um, what it's like how many ways we craft narratives. We write them for a job. We write them in our own lives, um, and also I think sometimes some people you see things that fit your um, understanding of self. So if you struggle with like confidence or any of that, you're gonna find things in someone's notes it's like confirmation bias. Like when you read news, you're scanning for things that fit what your belief systems are. And I think when you receive feedback, you're looking for that. That's, that's, that's really good. So let me just see if I got this right. So let's say like, so I'm somebody that like, I feel like I'm uh, like a fraud. So I'm looking in notes be like, Oh yeah, see, I told you. Totally. I'm a fraud. And oh, when I had, when I had slowed down and reread the notes, I was like, there's actually a lot of good things here too. I didn't see any of that shit because my narrative is not, you're a competent writer. My narrative is you're a hack who should get away from her laptop. <laughs> <laughs> unless you're, unless you're playing video games. So, so are you able to recover from that now? Like, can you get on top of it? Like, what are you dealing, how are you dealing with those notes now? Um, I sort of put it away for a few days and I, you know, we'll talk to, I'm working with Jennifer Shin, um, who, who uh, is a great producer I'm excited to work with. Um, I think that really helps. I like a producer to be a bit of an emotional buffer for me and contextualize things. So that's helpful. Um, but at the same time, it's like, you know, shit's hard work. Like scripts take a very long time. And it's also like, who do I think I am? Because I've written, uh, I don't know, 10 drafts of this that 10's enough. Yeah. It might be 50. <laughs> well, it's probably 51. Like it's probably yeah. the thing with art is that I think we have to almost make peace with where it's at now, where it's at now, where it's because yeah, I don't know about you, but I've never come away from a project and gone, and that was perfect. <laughs> no. No, but that's the learning curve. And that's part of the, the part of the job, I think. Yeah. And like coming back to what I was saying, my touchstone for things of does this fit what I want to say? about life or film or whatever. Um, and I think at the end of the day, you're going to receive criticism on your work, but like what you need to have is integrity for what you've done. Mm -hmm. Did you have a moment where you weren't saying what you wanted to say and that made you redefine that touchstone? Mm -hmm. Totally. I mean, even earlier drafts of Mary goes round. Catherine Emsley at the CFC, I think gave me a great note. She said, she said, you're trying to protect someone in the script. And the second she said that, I was like, she's right. So it's like, can you take a pass at something, imagining no one will ever see this? And then, and then what do you write? Because I think it's the self-awareness when you're writing of being seen. You're both like internalizing and aware of being watched. And uh, I think that can make the writing um, a little emotionally inauthentic um and that's the scary part i really like with scripts i have to i never want to tell the truth i write a little bit of the truth and then you sort of hammer at it (laughs) and then hide it underneath the rock somewhere but i but i i do feel like you are like even from like coffees with you i feel like you just go right in like you're not somebody that dances around what the weather is like and I wondered if there was a time it's in your life. It's raining here. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> oh, I, I meant that yeah. early. <laughs> yeah. um, I meant to ask you about that earlier and about what sports you're watching. We'll get to that later, obviously. Uh, but I think there's something really attractive about truth telling that I start to um, I, I, I start to want to do it more. And I wondered if there was a time in your life when you could feel yourself shifting into the need for that as well as an artist. No, I think that's sort of a slow evolution, but I think when you start performing an identity in your personal life or professionally, like that will kill you. Mm-hmm. I think if you're a creative person and it's like when you're not like sort of aligned, like, you know, when the plates are sort of mm-hmm. 
rubbing up against each other. Like it just, you like something's a bit off. Um, and I think that that's a constant process of sort of checking in. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I mean, and, and I'm highly aware also I'm someone who I think is a good chameleon. And I think that, you know, getting into directing TV, which so much of being a television director is reading a room, reading a group of people and performing how they want you to. And that sometimes I have moments where I'm like, I'm good at this. And then I'm like, I don't want to be good at that. Yeah. And then how, what do you yeah. do? So how's that? What kind of uh, workout do you go through to get that muscle of I'm just going to be me and take it or leave it? Um, that That's sort of like a dance because your job is literally in television to sort of execute within a framework that's yeah. been laid out. But I do think people respond to unique personalities, points of view. It's that sort of that fine line. But I luckily because I write and direct my own stuff can always remind myself that I exist in multiple realities. Right. So you can do that work. You might have to um, be play the part of a chameleon for that time. And you know that you've got your feature coming up yeah. that is yours. But it's sort of like, I could imagine like actors, you know, when it's like you're doing a commercial for depends or whatever, it's just like, I, I didn't book that one. What? I didn't book that one. Yeah. Next time. Next time. Oh, next time. But like, yeah. these are all things that we do. And you just in the back of your head, like, you know, that you're not one commercial. No, but your image is out there. Like I do, I, I feel the weight of my, my image and my voice out there. Yeah, me too. Yeah. So I'm also, I guess, full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I, but then I think it's a balance because I think there was a time that I was hesitant to put my voice out there because I was so aware of it. So it stopped me from creating. And I'm trying to get more bold with just going, fuck it, I'm going to make mistakes. Well, that's it. It's like, what, you're not going to do anything then, if that's the option? Like, Well, yeah, because you're paralyzed, right? Yeah. Like, I hope this is what you're wanting. And, you know, even when you're doing a commercial, you're, one, you're serving, right? You're serving the product, you're serving the director, you're serving the client, but you're also serving yourself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess... And there's like, money's a reality. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I, I just turned down a voiceover for anti-abortion and I was like, God, I'm blessed that I, but I'm blessed, right? I don't have to challenge my ethics that way. That would be a good opening scene for something. Yeah. But like you needed the money so badly. I'll send you the voiceover and you can use it in a film. It's just like, I was reading it. I forgot. I didn't read the description. And then I read the text and I was like, and I was like, Oh no, like this, but it's a hard no. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot in our industry that are things that are soft no's or maybe yeses because of making money and furthering our career and making yeah. connections. There's a lot that are challenge that challenge that. This yeah, wasn't one of those moments. No, nothing is happening. And will we ever work again? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it is something about staying creative and, you know, what these discussions that I've had with in the firecracker department, one of the questions that comes a lot is how do you stay creative in times of non-creativity, which we are all in right now. So are you finding this uh, an exciting time creatively or um, a grounding time? Because I know you've been so nuts busy for like, mm -hmm. I don't know, I would say like a five-year stint right now that it hasn't really yeah. slowed for you. And I really, it's when we wrapped um, Bless This Mess in March, I was planning to take March and April off to do a rewrite of, um, bloody hell my next feature but I love uh, that you just said like I was going to take it off to write because I know I, I, I mean know. I get it I'm not I just think it's funny how we think like you know what I'm gonna take Saturday off and I'm just gonna work on my script I know it's funny and a lot of the time I'm like I'm lazy like comparatively to so many other people I'm like I'm so lazy why am I watching the bachelor listen to your heart you know <laughs> you gotta because you have to you have to do you have to because that's soul yeah. food um uh, yeah, so we were talking about you being busy and you said, I'm going to take the next couple months, but then this happened. Uh, I've been busy because I'm trying to hit certain funding deadlines to get a draft in. So I've really been um, plugging away at that. And um, I also find like I am uh, psychologically and emotionally drained. I'm mm. um, sorry, there's a tornado warning coming through on my okay. phone. So great, speak. great. <laughs> Speaking of me. <laughs> Speaking of weather, I, the, 
I'm going to die in a tornado in Texas. I mean, do you want to go, do you want to go batten down the house? No, I mean, there's other people in the house. I feel like if a tornado's coming, they'll hold me. All right, well, let's keep in touch about that. I, I mean, this life is so, like, that happens, right? And then the pressure of a funding deadline, like, it's... I'm literally talking about a deadline, and then it's like, alert, tornado. <laughs> it's, it's so overwhelming sometimes. Yeah. And then what you said, like, psychologically, I think the psychological journey of staying, being an artist and staying creative is one level. And now throw a pandemic on that, and it's a whole other level. I also, like, you know, uh, this has been a crash landing that I knew was coming in some ways when I rapped, but hit me harder. It's like, you know, in the past two years, I've moved countries, a lot of new job stuff. I got out of a long-term relationship. I started a new one. Like, there's a whole lot of change that's that's gone on, and uh, I sort of think it's imperative for me to be um, uncomfortable right now <laughs> for a variety like, of reasons. For the, for those reasons, for creativity? Yeah, because um, I don't know, there has to be personal growth to elevate, I think your work. Yeah. Otherwise, you I mean, know, you're, right. you're not really developing. I know. Yeah, it sucks, totally <laughs> sucks. I mean, yeah, I wish I was someone who wrote like, alien movies or something but I don't and a lot of my work has to do with sort of emotional truths and all that sort of labor and um yeah I, I really should give myself an assignment to write outside of what I usually do but um yeah we'll see how long this quarantine lasts <laughs> yeah I mean you're a driven person and I think that like seeing you jump into bless this mess and navigating yourself through that till now it's, it's a matter of, uh, it's a balance, right? We're constantly trying to balance. So in this place where you're not actually, the, the, um, the, the pressures on you probably are less coming from outside and coming from inside more. Totally. Yeah, and um, you know, I moved here for a couple of reasons, but um, it feels like I risked a lot. So I'm like, I can't fail. Like there just, there was no option mm. for it. How are you with failure? Because we're human. Mm, I mean, no one likes it. I, I, it's like, I it's sometimes like, do, like I, if, in hindsight. Like not right when yeah. it's happening, but if I can look back, I'm like, I'm really happy for that, I'm quote unquote failure or mistake mm. because it taught me so much. Like I gained so much perspective on myself and on life and creativity that I wouldn't be who I'm at. like, you know, my mom passed away in February mm -hmm. and I mean, not that that was a failure or a mistake, but it was a tragedy, but it was a beautiful tragedy. Do you, can you see that in your, in your failures? Some of them, but some are just brutal. Like I creatively, I was, did a screenwriting lab in Greece this past summer and it was very crazy. I had a, an extremely early draft of my next feature that no one should have use their eyeballs to glance at and I got there and they're like oh your mentors are Paul Thomas Anderson and Nick Kroll and you can have three-hour meetings with them tomorrow so if you can just meet Paul at this Greek cafe he'll, he'll talk about your script and I'm like excuse me I'm like um what like I, he re read that and they're like oh yeah and so I'm like oh my god so uh oh I gosh. like go to this Greek cafe to meet with Paul Thomas Anderson who's like hey and I'm like <laughs> so weird and um you know the script is sort of a coming of age about like sexuality and gender identity mm -hmm. and um i was like with all due respect you're paul thomas anderson but you're also a stranger to me so it was like hard to talk about certain things in the script and he was like no i appreciate that um but anyways we had to do an exercise for this lab where they gave us two greek actors from athens and we had to film a scene in like three hours with no crew. We had like a DP and a camera, but there was like no location. So I had to shoot the scene in a hotel lobby. There's people with wheelie bags going back and forth. The tone of my work is sort of like drama, comedy. The, the actors didn't speak English very well. And so then we had to screen these. But the people in the room were like, yeah, Tamara Jenkins, like Jake Gyllenhaal's mom was in the room, like all these people. And so I told Paul, I was like, 
don't come to the screening. And he's like, why? And I'm like, this is the worst thing I've ever directed. Do not come. And he was like, oh, well, I'm definitely coming. <laughs> <laughs> How to make sure somebody arrives. This is going to be awful. Don't yeah. come. Yeah. And it was awful. It was oh. the most lost in translation thing tonally I've ever done. I feel like my tone is very specific to English language work. And sure. uh, I write like very dialogue heavy stuff and I wanted to absolutely die. Um, and I'm like, wow, there was maybe 15 or 20 of like some of the most respected people I can think oh of God, who are watching in a group, the worst thing I've ever done. Um, but it's funny. I then bumped into Paul in the lobby and I just burst out laughing. He gave me a hug and he was like, that was a, so fucking funny. And he was like, I think you should make a documentary about trying to film your movie with like Greek. <laughs> and, uh, but even so, even though that was like a really like big quote unquote failure, um, there was a couple people who had pointed out, even though the, the thing did not work in any capacity from a writing or directing standpoint, a few people were like, they saw the truth in it and they could sort of see what I was doing. And, um, and that was enough, you know, but, um, I felt like that was a bit of a spectacular failure. You know, it's so funny that I need to talk to Paul Thompson. <laughs> Let's just call him Paul. But yeah. like, it, but it, I'm sure he would also say that I've dealt with that as well. Like we've all dealt with those moments of going, I can't believe I've exposed that level of imperfection. Like we've all dealt with it. Why is it that I think I'm allowed to not have own, have mistakes out there? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because some people do seem to publicly just hit 10 out of 10s most of the time. Um, I think that's, like that's who? pretty rare. Who's, like, I feel like that's, um, like, that's a, a mistake. Uh, not a mistake. I feel like that's not truthful that I would, if you ask those perfect people, they'd be like, yeah, check this out. And this is my other failure. Right. Or things are, quote unquote, a failure to them for yeah. their standards. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But at the end of the day, like, um, there, there will inevitably be failure with things, but it, it does come down to me having a sport system that's not invested in this sort of ego work of being a creative person, like people who are just invested in me. Um, and I think it's like, you got to have those people around because you will fuck up and you will be, um, you know, feeling down about your work at times, but, you know, ultimately people are like, you know, let's get a beer, fuck it. Or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Is that the best thing somebody can tell you after you've had like a rough day? That's just like F it. Yeah. I got a really bad review once that at first I started hysterically laughing because I thought it was a really badly written review. And then I read it again and I started sobbing and, um, but I was like, you know what? I it's a it's a rite of passage. Is a bad fucking review. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, again, like I think you have to sort of process it. Sometimes I think it's muscles. Like I feel like I should like I should just dive into really hard, challenging, sticky situations in order to work that muscle out. But instead, I avoid them because I who wants to live through that. But we yeah. just don't we just don't exercise the muscle because it's so uncomfortable. That's the stuff you want to write about. That's the stuff you want to see on camera. You don't want to see somebody on camera living perfectly. There's no Exactly. Story. I mean that's what we watch. We watch people trying to do something and fail. Like that's a hero's journey. Yeah. Mm, oh, there's a great podcast called How to Fail. Yeah. I think it's a British podcast. Do you know it? Yeah, I've I've got it on my list. I I I it's funny. When I have podcasts that I know are gonna inspire me, I can't listen to them at night. Because it just yeah, gets me too jazzed up. I, I'm curious also, because I know you worked with uh, Deepa Mehta. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering about the time that you knew it was time to move on from working with her and doing your own stuff. Mm, I think I was a really bad assistant always. So <laughs> I was like, probably should have left a long time ago. But it's funny. I, I'm, you could ask her. She would probably say I'm not the best assistant. but. Um, I, there, we had a good relationship and I know she valued my feedback on stuff. Yeah. And I think that was valuable to her at that time. Um, 
I started making a few films and I was really racked with nerves to tell her because I'm a very loyal person. I never want to, you know, let people down. And, uh, you know, she more or less said, well, if you want to be a director, then what the hell are you doing here? Right. Which was great advice for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Kicked you out of the nest. She literally, I remember we sitting in her kitchen and she sort of like lovingly kicked me out and was said, you know, it's sort of, she's, you know, tough love with her. So it was go and make films and stop complaining about wanting to be something. Right. Yeah. I think that's such a, I mean, that's such a good thing to put in your pocket for always. Cause I think we get comfortable. Do you find yourself getting comfortable and settling into that? Or do you find yourself getting comfortable and going, Oh, I got to move. I'm always moving out of comfort. Yeah. Is there anything comfortable about your life? Mm, yeah. I mean, the people in it, I'm, that's my comfort. Everything else is pretty uncomfortable, but I'm pretty choosy with who, who I have as, as padding. Yeah. 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 Life's too short for, for bad padding friends. <laughs> yeah. It's like, even on Instagram, it's like, if anything's annoying me, I'll just unfollow it. Like just sort of, curate where your emotional energy is going. Yeah. Um, I know that you're, I know you're saying that you feel responsibility of supporting women's voices and raising them up. Do you feel like that like came from a time? Cause I know your mom passed away early. Did that influence that journey? Do you think? Yeah. She always wanted to be a writer. Um, I have this tattoo on my wrist that I got, um, very impulsively last year, it's number 55. Um, and she, uh, until my parents got divorced, she only had a high school education and had put herself through um, undergrad and a graduate degree with, with five kids, which is crazy. But um, I found a bunch of her creative writing a few years ago. And, and um, one of the first lines of this poem was, I was 55 years old before I got the courage to call myself a writer moving continents, having five children, surviving breast cancer, the loss of a marriage, none of that, you know, you know, she was busy doing that essentially. And um, she died five years later. And so the number 55 has always stuck with me because it, you know, it took her pretty much the entirety of her life to get to say that she is. And so I wanted a reminder that like, it's a privilege that I'm, here and able to do what she was not because she had obligations that I don't have, which was to be a mother and a wife. Yeah. Do you feel like um, there's something you're not doing because of fear? Because I think you're a very courageous person. I think that you live like boldly. I, you know what? That's nice of you to say. And I think that, I think you're correct in that. I think I'm, you know, I think it's like probably someone famous has the quote, but um I was terrified. Oh, Frida Kahlo. She said I was uh I've terrified every step of the way, but did it anyways. Yeah. And that's yeah. how I feel. I'm always scared. I'm always I'm just like trembling in my boots, you know, maybe people don't see that. But uh I don't know. I think I feel like I've lost a lot of things in my life and have had a lot of grief with things and um I think there is a gift in loss because I find that it's created a fearlessness in me. And I think, you know, when I was young, I always knew I would lose my mom young. I don't know why. It's like when I was a kid, mm. I knew it in my gut when she left the room, when she put me to bed, I was, I just had a sense that I would lose her wow. prematurely. And that was always my greatest fear was to lose her. And then I did. Um, and, you know, there's a book, Motherless Daughters, that said that sort of the one of the darker secrets of losing your mother is you can often become there's a gift in it and that you're there's what now like now you can fully be released into the world right and for some women which i didn't feel but some women do it's like there's a standard or expectations your mother may have put on you consciously or subconsciously and you know what they're gone now so yeah. i mean that that's sort of <laughs> one of the more painful gifts of, of losing a mother, I think. Yeah. Um, that's really, really beautiful. And that hits home. 
Yeah, I know it does. I'm sorry if that's... No, no, it's beautiful. I mean, I, me, my mom had dementia for 10 years, so I've sort of said goodbye for 10 years, but, um, and I think that she also didn't live in her, in her power the way she could have. So I always, I regretted that for her. I mourned it for her. But your mom having five years known as a writer, I think, you know, that's a, that is, it's a tragedy for me to see people not stepping into things that they can do. I know. And it's like, I can't fix whatever tragedies she experienced, but it's like the only thing I can ensure is that my own fate does not become a tragedy. Yeah, right. you know, and, I think, and I think, I don't mean dying prematurely. I think a tragedy is unfulfilled potential. Yeah. Yeah. So then you're not, if you don't, you say you don't get scared, but, or you do live in a fear that you're comfortable with. Like, how does that manifest? You know, you're stepping into directing people that, you know, have, have bigger resumes than you or you're, you're or more experienced than you. So how do you sit in that fear and then push through anyway? I just, uh, don't pretend, don't to be, don't pretend to be more experienced or more knowledgeable or more whatever than you have to be. And, sometimes it's like when you're working with actors or directors who have had all these credits and it's like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I have as many credits as Ed Begley Jr. who has maybe 350 IMDb credits, but I also have to trust that I'm here for a reason and that I have a point of view. Um, And also I think the role of a director sometimes is to spark ideas and sort of just like, you know, it's a two-way street. I just don't view directing as me telling you to stand over there and say this. And when you are working with people who have a level of experience, it's like, they already fucking know. They get it. It's like, you know, they know when you block them exactly where the cameras are, as I'm sure you do. It's like, you understand. But I think good direction, in my opinion, sometimes can be like, what do you think about this? Or you know, you know would it be and why is that this? like that can be conceived like for me if I'm asked I, I feel I feel like that could be conceived as weakness asking somebody else's opinion but I think that's collaboration like I love that totally and it, it depends on the actor too it's yeah. some people you know some people some days they don't feel well or their kid's sick or whatever. And you, you just, you sense it or you overhear the AD saying their kid <laughs> broke their arm or whatever. And you just know, you just have to get that person out. So at that point I sort of repivot and become very concise about sort of what the plan is for the scene. Other days they're goofing around, they're talking to crew, they come in, you're like, okay, they, they, that person wants to play this. So you throw out a little more curveballs. but mm-hmm. honestly the biggest skill is to read the room. Um, and yeah, to, to answer your question, I just don't pretend to be anything more than what I am. However, even when moments I doubt myself, I have to perform confidence. I think directing is a performative job as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, I am the first to admit when I fuck up, you know, which it's just like, oop, my bad. It's like, move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe some people perceive that as weakness, but, um, if they do, I don't know, that's just not the place for me. And luckily I've had such a good experience on the majority of sets and, um, the cast I was recently working with were incredible. On Bless This Mess? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a way of asking for input without being weak. Like if I said, well, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me? Like, that's a different way of saying, like, I have my choice. I'd like your input. What do you think? hundred percent. Because I've, I've worked with directors before that I can, you can feel the fear. And that doesn't feel great as an actor, you know? Like, I'm like, if you're, if you don't know what, like, I, I can't help you. I need to, like, worry about my stuff, so. Yeah, absolutely. What was, yes. the, was there a moment in uh, your in your career that you learned that lesson of like, I got to just stand my ground with my opinion? No, because my, your opinion is constantly malleable. It's like, um, I come with a plan. I always prepare. I always do the work. I never look at my shot list throughout the day because look, you have a five person scene and you have a shot list for that. 
Well, it takes one person saying, uh, I don't think I'm going over there. And then, yeah, right. and then it's at the window. <laughs> and then the house of cards falls down. So tell me about you, your biv- biggest pivot that you've had to do on set. There's just so many. Um, and every day. And sometimes, you know, it's like I, in the finale of Bless This Mess, there was a scene, when, it was the opening scene with Dash Shepard and uh, David Koechner. And it's this scene where they're sort of fighting over something. And uh, I had blocked it a certain way. And Dax was like, I think it's funnier if we're really far apart and yelling. And I was like, it was just so interesting because conceptually I did not see they were in an exterior. Um, I just didn't imagine them that far away, but sure, let's try it. Always try it. And honestly, whatever is funnier in comedy should win. Yep. And we did it that way and it was a lot funnier. And okay, so now we're doing it this way. Great. That scene was cut from the entire episode. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I know. I know. But stuff like that, it's just honestly like what's funnier. Yeah. Yeah. You. I. That's one of the other things I love about you is the is the line that you balance on between comedy and tragedy. It's just my favorite thing. Like, and everything you do, even like scenes from Mary Goes Round that were like tragic, but beautiful, like, and funny and ridiculous, but human. It's all human, right? We're not, we're not just one element. Absolutely. But like, I mean, that being said with the whole directing thing, it's, yeah, I'm flexible, but there's certain things no, like there's certain things if someone suggests something that uh, I it just, I don't agree with at all. Or a lot of the time it's like, you know, sometimes actors will suggest something not having maybe read the whole script. So it's like what you right. blocked for that scene or whatever your plan with it relates to the scene in the third act. And they're sort of like, well, why are we? And you have to explain like, we're doing it this way because, and that's something I learned is when I'm nervous around an actor, if you just let them win all the time, like, they, you know, you don't always know. You're literally asking, you need someone's direction to tell you what the fuck's going on. Yeah. And uh, so stuff like that, it's like, oh, this person actually just doesn't understand what's happening. Yeah. And they haven't read the script. I was blocking a scene with two actors once and it was so, oh, we shot the master. It was two guys talking in the room and I'm like, this one of the actors has no idea what is going on. Like the backstory in the scene. Yeah. Right. I'm like, so we shot the master and I'm like, Oh no. And so I cut and I sort of pulled him aside and I was like, do you know what's going on in the scene? And he goes, I have no idea. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And I was like, but I said, I so appreciate your honesty. He didn't try to pull the wall over my eyes. And I was like, okay, here's what happened. Uh, you cheated on his girlfriend, like just gave him the oh thing. And he goes, he goes, Oh, this makes so much more sense. And I was like, okay, we're going to roll in the master again. Did oh it. And I was like, Oh, now this person understands what's happening. Right. You're like, come on, Tom Cruise, get it together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but like, yeah, you stuff like that. You really have to sort of stand your ground and um, not be afraid to say, Hey, um, do you know what's going on in the scene? Cause it seems like you don't. <laughs> Well, and I think that's like what you're talking about, like getting in touch with your gut. So, you know, when you have to stand your ground and be like, "Mm, I'm not going to try it your way because I have an instinct that you haven't read the script. So I'm going to hold my ground for that. But this one with the comedic idea of speaking in a distance, let's try it. We have time. Like, you know, that's when you have a, like an extra bit of time. And especially like in terms of blocking in a rehearsal, like there's the time to do it. There's a few, there's a few times I can't specifically recall, but the worst nightmare for me personally is mid scene realizing something that or someone is like shifts it halfway through. And then it's like, Oh crap. Like then you, you can't use your master. Yeah. And has, uh, that, has so, that happened for you on set? Oh yeah. Something for whatever reason, it could be me. It could be the writer's like, Oh wait, and you're like, no, but uh, yeah. that's why I prefer like in rehearsal to really just like get everyone get their ideas out. Let's make sure we have our shit in line and then film it quickly. Like honestly, the filming of it, I find the quickest part. Yeah. I love talking about TV and film with you so much because I love set life so much and it makes me feel like we're hanging out on set. I'm lacking in craft services in a big way right now. But other than that, it feels really, really lovely. I know. We'll never have communal craft services bowls ever again. I mean, I think I'm okay with that. There was some grumpy hands going into those chip bowls. <laughs> totally. 
weeks. You, you blessed the mess and that was fun. Bless the mess. The mess was blessed. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It was like, uh, you know, I thought I was doing 13 episodes and we ended up doing 20. Amazing. So, and you got, the, you got the finale too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did seven episodes, which was great. And um, I feel like, yeah, definitely my directing muscles are, have been put to work and that's great. I feel I'm, you know, excited to see the next thing and to sort of feel that growth, especially with my own, uh, my own directing. Yeah. Since Mary goes around, it's like, you know, I, I think I was still figuring a lot of stuff out, but now I feel um, more confident. Yeah. It's just the muscle, right? We just have to keep exercising it, keep making mistakes. And it's such a hard muscle to exercise though, because you don't, when it's your time to exercise, you're also in the Olympics. (laughs) Yeah. As a director, because they're really expensive Olympics. Yes. Like, you know, you're going for a jog, but also now you're supposed to run a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. And the eyes on, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. You're doing so good. You're doing I get so good. I'm nervous every day before my first day directing. And it's funny. It's like with Bless This Mess, it was like living, I knew all these people so well. I know that they knew me. They trusted me. They have my back. It's like all of that. Best case I scenario. I still get, I want to barf before I block the first scene, you know? I know. It's so, I do know. And I don't know the answer to that. And I, I don't do drugs and that, so I can't turn to that help. Although my friend suggested uh, beta blockers. Yes. Yeah. That's interesting. I know it's, you know what it, I, you and I both know. It's like meditation. It's yoga. It's all the things that we have to do now in preparation for when we're stressed, but I'm not doing them. I'm just living like, in, like sure. I, my, my body vibrates with stress sometimes. For sure. Um, yeah, and I'm eating all the things right now. And, you know, my mom used to say when I would, when I would be like, I'm eating too much, you would be like, you need some padding to keep you warm in the winter. <laughs> I don't know what I can say about that now that I live in Los Angeles. That's right. <laughs> I know, but that's the thing. I mean, I'm such a creature of habit and like, I love having just a little bit of certainty and all of it's gone. Like we don't have any idea of when we're going to come back. We're just going to figure out as we go. And I don't know, I can work myself into like a stress about it, or I can just go, we're, uh, we're going to handle it as we go. So I do both. Yeah. (laughs) I get stressed and then I go, we're going to be fine. I'm going to wrap it up with some rapid fire questions that are neither rapid or have anything to do with fire, but we'll just keep them going. Uh, What do you want to be known for? I want to make things that challenge people to question how they um, view themselves and those around them. I like that. What's two words to describe your um, state of mind right now? Mm-hmm. Caffeinated and heartful talking to you. <laughs> Man, if this is caffeinated, you're so chill. I'm like, you haven't had coffee. Um, what book is in you that you know you need to write in your lifetime? Still writing it. Like that. Um, what's something that people don't know about you? Molly's not my legal first name. I don't think I did know that. Is it something like Eustace or something like that? Or <laughs> Eustace McGlynn. <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Um, what, uh, if this was your, your film is your life. And we're just about to roll the credits because it's the end credits now. What's been the climax, the turning point of your life so far? Been many, but probably mother passing. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. You're uh, like- <laughs> yep. What is one of the things that you instinctually know you need to do to regroup after stress? Go for a walk. Uh, what's advice you would give to your younger self? Only way out is through. I like that. Oh, I like all of these. And what's something you haven't done yet, but you know you have to do before the end? Write a book. Oh, well, thank you so much. Um, I can't wait to see what you do next. And thank you. You know that if you need any help from the firecrackers, we're here for you. You should do a top knot bun tutorial. No, that's luck. That's luck. You know that that's luck. Some days that's it's, good. and then other days, like yesterday, I had to do something on camera and it was, like high school, where like, mom, it's not working. Like I get so wild, and then a hat went on. 
I, um, I hate those moments and you're just like, fuck, like I hate that, all my clothes. Yeah. That happens to me every single like event or red carpet I have to go to. There's a moment that I look in the mirror and go, nothing's working. Like, and then I get over it and I put a hat on and they're okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think you're fantastic. You too, Naomi. Mm-hmm. Thanks for chatting with me. Anytime. You too. All Thank right. you. Bye, Bye for now. I mean, Molly McGlynn, she's just the loveliest, coolest, most thoughtful. She just puts her heart into everything. We were living in Los Angeles at the same time, and those coffees that I had with Molly McGlynn were some of my favorite coffees ever. Not the coffee, the conversation. I don't remember the coffee, to be honest. She's just a beacon of of bright, bright light. And uh, anybody who's lucky enough to work with her, better off for it. Don't forget, you can watch Mary Goes Round on Amazon Prime anytime. And watch How to Buy a Baby on YouTube or CBC Gem in Canada. Follow Molly on Instagram at Molly Mary McGlynn and on Twitter at The Real Molly McG. Updates for her upcoming film, Bloody Hell, and upcoming television series, Penny Cuts Her Banks, can all be found on her socials. So follow along, it's gonna be exciting. Now remember, we always love hearing from you. Thank you so much to the folks that are reaching out on Twitter or Instagram or in our private Facebook group. This community is better off because you are part of it. So thank you so much. Why not, uh, hey, why not once you've followed Molly McGlynn, follow us at Firecracker D-E-P-T. Let me know what your favorite Molly quote was or tag us in a picture of you listening to Molly with your face going, oh, she's the coolest because I know that's what your face is going to be. We can't wait to hear from you and find out what resonated in your head and heart and just keep building this amazing firecracker department community. Like I always say, there's space for everyone within the firecracker department. And if you're not already part of our Facebook members group, why not? There's tons of stuff going on over there. That's our central hub for connecting with the firecracker community and where all our event reminders, conversations and connections happen. Uh, like our sparkler department, which is little firecrackers. So if you have kids, go check out the sparkler department. Or are you an actor or a writer? Because we have the script department and writing department as well. Weekly, the writing department posts a prompt on Mondays so that you can do that anytime. Plus, we do a little writing gym with bursts, so you don't even have to prepare anything. We do that on Zoom every Thursday. Come and join us over there. Every Sunday, we host a community brunch on Zoom so that new and current firecrackers looking to meet other creative people like you can hang out and connect. And it's always really fun. We drink coffee, we often wear our pajamas and have bathrobes, and that's the way it rolls. We always want to know what you're doing and how we can help you move forward creatively. Monthly, we host a script department reading series, a wellness department meditation, live spark chats on Instagram with past podcast guests, and even a movie club. Yeah, there's a lot going on, and there's a department and a seat for everyone at the firecracker table. Come find yours, share your voice with the world, and connect with your people. Stay in the loop with everything I just threw at you by subscribing to our newsletter at firecrackerdepartment.com. Big, huge, ginormous thanks to my whole team. I'm throwing my arms up. Ginormous! Everyone who's in Los Angeles, Toronto, Vancouver, New York, and all the way over in the UK. Thanks to all our core members for everything that they do online and off to make this community, this firecracker department growing into what it is becoming, which is so important to me. And from what I'm hearing from the feedback, it's important to you too. So thank you. Big thanks to Jeff Militinovic and Igor Karila for our theme music. We love it. And thanks to you. Yeah, you, the one listening right now, for taking the time to listen because we know there's a lot of options out there and we so appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Naomi, and we'll see you next time on the Firecracker Department.